Hey, I want to give you a quick report. Uh, by the way, good morning. Welcome. It's good to see you all this morning. Um, we had two things. We had a great time yesterday with our youth. Uh, we had a pool party. Uh, Megan and I went to help out for a little bit, and then we ended up hanging out the whole time because... Well, it was 90 degrees out, and there was a pool, and so I uh, had a great time, but uh, God is doing great things in our young people. Our youth group on Thursday night uh, is growing like crazy. Uh, they're not just just in the Word and, and in worship, but also numerically. We have young people are inviting their friends to come, and so would you just make a note, maybe in your calendar, put, even if you're, if you don't have a youth in your house, or Maybe you're not feeling so youthful anymore. Um, would you put a note in your calendar on Thursdays, Thursday evenings, to just pray for our youth? Just a little reminder that can pop up, and just pray for our youth during that time. Uh, Jesse's doing an amazing job leading our youth, and, uh, and we're seeing some amazing things taking place there. Also, with baptism next Sunday, uh, if you've already signed up to be baptized, you'll be hearing from me this week. I'll have some instruction for you, uh, a short video to, for you to watch in, in preparation for that. Uh, a praise report, we actually have two people from the convalescent ministry uh, that Jim and Candy and Sandy head up. And in fact, Sandy's there right now and, and will be joining us here shortly. But she let me know yesterday that two of the folks from the convalescent ministry will be coming next Sunday to get baptized. And so uh, just super, super exciting. And so I wanted to share that. If uh, It's a great Sunday to invite family and friends, especially if you're getting baptized or someone in your household is being baptized. Invite your neighbors, invite your family, invite your friends to come, uh, and let's celebrate together. It's going to be a special, special day. I want to invite you to open your Bibles this morning uh, to Matthew chapter 14. Matthew chapter 14. We have today and next Sunday will be the last in our series along the way, Walking with Jesus. We've been in this series for a few weeks now. We've taken a couple of breaks here and there. We're thankful to have Pastor Steve Cecil with us last Sunday to bring the word. Uh, if you missed last Sunday, Steve is our Foursquare missionary in Russia and, uh, and was able to bring a word of encouragement to us last week. If you missed that, you can catch the podcast. Uh, brought a really powerful word, which... Funny enough, kind of ties right in with what I'm preaching today. So you kind of set me up, which, uh, which is really neat. Also, in the back of the, the, the chairs in front of you, there's still some uh, Reach Russia prayer cards. If you'd like to pray for the Cecils, grab one of those, tuck it in your Bible. Uh, we're believing for God to multiply uh, our Foursquare churches in, in Russia right now. We currently have eight churches and. Uh, the Cecils, along with the team and the national leader in Russia, are believing for 500. So eight to 500, that's a lot of church planting, a lot of leaders that need to be raised up, a lot of work that needs to be done, and we can be a part of that as we pray for them. Um, so we took a break last week, but we're back to along the way. Jesus met people along the way, right? He walked thousands of miles during his life and ministry. And as he walked, he encountered people. In fact, John tells us in, the, in, in his epistle in chapter 21 that, that not everything that Jesus did was written down and recorded in Scripture. He, he, the way he says it is this, I suppose is if everything he did was written down, there wouldn't be enough books in the world to contain it. So Jesus did a lot. He encountered a lot of people, and we get in Scripture, in the Gospels, a snapshot, kind of the highlight reel of Jesus' life and ministry. And we can forget sometimes that Jesus walked everywhere he went. There was no public transportation. There was no Uber, right? He didn't, he didn't someone, summon a camel to come pick him up and take him. He walked. And along with him, the disciples, they walked together. And, and, and as they walked, life happened, they ate together, they laughed together, they cried together, they asked questions, Jesus taught them, they had encounters with each other and with the people around them, and as they did, lives were transformed. And here's what I believe is that Jesus still moves in the same way in our lives today as he did then, that he wants to meet us along the way, that sometimes Christianity can become more about the destination than it is about the journey. And the destination is pretty awesome, right? Amen? 
All right, heaven is pretty spectacular. If you've not heard about it, I'd love to tell you. Heaven's pretty amazing. But it's not just about getting to heaven. It's about what God wants to do in our lives along the way. And so we meet him along the way. And in order to kind of open our hearts to that, we've taken a look at some stories of people whose lives were impacted along the way. And so today we're going to kind of start winding down our journey uh, next week, by the way, we'll be at the Jordan River and taking a look at that moment when Jesus was baptized, and that will lead us into our baptism time next week. But today, we're back at the Sea of Galilee, so we can pull up the map. So we're going to be up in the northern part of the country. Jerusalem's down in the south, uh, right, right above where it says Judea. And so a lot of Jesus' ministry was focused up in Galilee, in the northern part of the country, And so the Sea of Galilee is pretty familiar uh, to us. And it's here on the Sea of Galilee that Jesus has an encounter with the disciples that's pretty remarkable. And I believe that there's something in this story that God wants to share with us today. Now, how many of you, and I know I'm looking around the room and the younger ones in the room won't remember this, so this will be a bit telling. How many of you remember Choose Your Own Adventure Books? Right? Like those, you guys, you've done those. I'm impressed. I mean, you have, you have spectacular parents, that's why, right? Choose your own adventure books were pretty amazing. Uh, I wasn't a big reader growing up, but, but outside of the Hardy Boys, choose your own adventure books were my, my go-to because it changed every time you read. The way that if you've never read one of them, the way that it worked is you start reading the story and then you get to a page and it gives you an option. So let's say Johnny is walking down the road and he can turn left or right and, and you get to choose. And it says if, if you want Johnny to turn left, turn to this page. And if you want him to turn right, turn to that page. And there would be a whole different story that would unfold. And, and they were pretty cool, kind of, kind of groundbreaking because you could read the same book a few times and kind of end up at different destinations. And uh, that was pretty neat. But here's what I realized. I started reading the Bible like a choose-your-own-adventure story. I started reading the Bible and going, oh, I like that. Yeah, I'll do that. Oh, I'm not on board with that. I'll leave that part out. And here's the thing. When we do that, we miss out. We miss out. The Bible is not a choose-your-own-adventure story. The goal of the Word of God is not to try and make it fit into your life, right? Oh, I, I'm going to make it fit to conform what's already happening in my life. The goal of the Word of God is for it to challenge you and to call you out, to heal you, to transform you, to do something in your life that you wouldn't arrive at on your own. If, if that was the goal, we wouldn't need Jesus, We wouldn't need the Word of God if I could just figure it out on my own. So my challenge and my invitation to you this morning is this, and we've already heard this expressed. Would you allow God to speak to you today? See, the problem with a story like this one with Jesus walking on the water and then Peter walking on the water is we can do this. Oh, I know this one. I know this story. Right? I've, I've seen the cartoon, or I've read the, 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 the Bible storybook when I was in Sunday school, or I've read this. I, I, I know this story, and I actually know how it applies to my life. My invitation this morning to you is would you allow God to take you on an adventure in His Word and allow Him to speak to you in a way that's maybe new, maybe calls you out a little bit, maybe challenges you in ways that you've not been challenged. Let's pray to that end. Holy Spirit, we invite you this morning to have your way. Even as Robert prayed, tear down the walls. Tear down the walls of our assumptions and our presuppositions. Remove any pride that would say, oh, I know. Allow us to sit at your feet today and have an encounter with you Jesus, that could very well change the course of our lives. We surrender ourselves to you this morning. Amen. So let's read this together, starting in verse 23 of chapter 14. After he had dismissed them, 
This is Jesus. He went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. And later that night, he was there alone, and the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. And shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage. It is I, don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. And Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly you are the Son of God. It's a great story. Peter walking on the water. Now tell me you've not ever tried that. Maybe by yourself, you're at the pool and you're like, let me see how far I can get. Anyone? Anyone brave enough to say I've given it a shot? All right, thank you. Yeah, right? I wonder how far I can get. And then, oh, you have little, no, I'm just kidding. Um, Let's take a look at the Sea of Galilee. Let's set the context real quick where they're at. Sea of Galilee is kind of a misnomer. The word sea, because it's not really, it's, it's, it's a big lake. And honestly, it's not even that big of a lake. Uh, there's a lot of names for the Sea of Galilee. Uh, lake, lake Tiberias is one of the names, names for the city of Tiberias along the southern uh, coast. Uh, if we could get the map back up again, that'd be great. You see, Israel is not a very big country. Uh, We've talked about the fact that from the Sea of Galilee to Jerusalem is about 110 miles um, from here to San Diego as a a reference point. And so if you look at, if you consider that from Capernaum to Jerusalem, so Capernaum's on the north side of the Sea of Galilee, Jerusalem's all the way in the south here. If that's 110 miles, you can tell that lake's not very large. In fact, the, the Sea of Galilee is about 13 miles long at its longest point and about 8 miles wide. So not, not very big. And at its deepest point, it's only 143 feet deep. So as a, as a reference, as a point of comparison, Lake Tahoe right here in California, is 20 miles long at its longest point and 12 miles wide. So it is 8 miles or 7 miles longer and about 4 miles wider than the Sea of Galilee. And at its deepest point, Lake Tahoe is over 1,600 feet deep. Okay, So Sea of Galilee is a unique body of water in that it's, it's very shallow, um, it's, it's not extremely large, but one of the, the factors that makes it unique, it is the lowest freshwater lake in the world. Uh, the lowest lake in the world is the, the, the Dead Sea, which is just south of it, um, and it, that is the lowest, lowest point on the planet at the Dead Sea. So the Sea of Galilee is the lowest freshwater lake in the world. What's important about that is its, its geography kind of creates a weather system around it that's unique on the planet. Um, what happens is because of its low point and because it's in the desert, all of these vortexes and all of these winds that blow come funneling down uh, these gullies and these, these valleys that feed down into, uh, into the Sea of Galilee and into the Jordan River, uh, the, the rift that forms that, that becomes the Jordan River. Um, if you if you're a mechanic at all, and maybe you used to work on a carbureted engine, any anyone ever work on a carburetor, right? Okay, so you you would have been familiar maybe with the fact that in a carburetor there's something called a venturi effect, where air when it's forced into a narrow uh, narrow passage when it comes out the other end it increases in velocity. What happens is there's this massive venturi effect that happens. Uh, that, that happens in the Sea of Galilee. By the way, Santa Ana winds, that's what those are. 
They get pressurized as they go up over the mountains, and then they drop down, and they increase in velocity, um, and that's what gives us those winds here in California. Same idea in the Sea of Galilee, and because of that, this wind starts whipping up the water on the Sea of Galilee, and because it's not a very deep lake, the, 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 the motion of the water, there's not the depth to stabilize that body of water. And so it can go from totally calm to these wind-whipped waves in a matter of moments. As the, as the weather would shift and this wind would come kind of flooding down into that valley, you could be just on a nice, nice day, and it doesn't even have to be a storm in the sense that there's thunder clouds. It's just that the wind starts blowing and these waves start getting whipped up and start blowing all around. And so this is the context, this is the setting of where the disciples are uh, out on the Sea of Galilee. Jesus has just wrapped up the feeding of the 5,000, and, and it starts out there, it says that he sent them on their way. He told the disciples, hey, get in the boat, go to the other side, and I'll meet you. And so they're out on the Sea of Galilee, and it says that Jesus went up on the mountainside to pray. I have, I have a few points that I want to make, some different perspectives in the story this morning. And so we'll jump into the first one right now. It's this. Jesus sees the big picture. Jesus always sees the big picture. The Bible tells us that Jesus went out on a mountain to pray. It's believed that this mountain was Mount Arbel, which is right on the Sea of Galilee. In fact, here's a view of it from the Sea of Galilee looking up at the mount. And so that, that, that outcropping right there is Mount Arbel. Now, interestingly, it's called a mount, but because of how low it is on the planet, it's only about a, 143 feet above sea level and altitude. But given its terrain from the Sea of Galilee, this is the highest point around the Sea of Galilee. And so it's believed that this is a mountain where Jesus, when it says in Scripture, Jesus went on a mountain to pray, not just in this place, but in other places. It's believed that this is the point that he went to because it was centrally located. It was on the way from Capernaum to Jerusalem. This is the route that they would have taken. And, and it has an incredible view. Check it out. This is the view from the top of that mount. Isn't that beautiful? I'm going to do a little... Shameless plug for our Israel trip next year. I actually, I took that photo last year when I was in Israel. And it was one of, one of the most profound places to be on this mountainside where it says that Jesus went alone to pray. In fact, our, our tour guide took time. We had about half an hour by ourselves just to pray. And it was powerful. To sit on the side of this mountain, you can see, and the, the lake continues down to the right, but you can see the whole whole lake. We're going next year in September. We'd love it if you join us. There's flyers at the back. Grab one. Check it out. All right? All right. Advertising is done. Jesus is up on the mountainside, and he can see from this vantage point. He can see everything. When you're up on this mountainside, because the lake's not so big, you can see all of the boats on the lake, right? With, without, with the naked eye. You don't need a pair of binoculars, you can see everything that's happening on the lake from this vantage point. And so Jesus goes up on the mountainside to pray. He's, he's had a time of ministry. He's been pouring out and giving out into other people's lives. And he realizes, hey, I need some time with my father. I need to, I need to go spend some time just, just getting refreshed. That's a whole message in and of itself. And we're not going to spend much time there. But just know this. You need time alone with the father. You need time alone with the Father. In fact, in thinking about that being raised up on eagle's wings, when the Spirit of God lifts you up when you're in His presence, you gain this kind of perspective in your life. You start able, you're in a place where you're able to see things more clearly. The great thing, though, is that God never loses His perspective. He never loses sight of what's going on in your life. There's nothing in your life whatsoever that is a surprise to Him. There's never a day or a moment where God goes, I didn't see that coming. Oh, I didn't anticipate that happening. Oh, oh no, what are we going to do now? And starts wringing his hands. Ever. We live in that reality. He doesn't. Jesus is on the mountainside and he has the perfect vantage point. He sees everything. He sees the details of your life. In this story, it's Mount Arbel. Right now, in the present, it's at the right hand of the Father. 
where he's been glorified and lifted up. And at the right hand of the Father, he sees everything. He knows about everything that is going on in every one of your lives at every moment in time. He never loses sight. So Jesus is here on the mountain and he sees the disciples in the boat. He sees the wind and he sees the wave and he sees that they're being buffeted and he sees that it's against them. Nature itself is against them and that they're struggling. He sees them. Can I tell you this morning, God knows when the winds and the storms of life are against you. He knows. And here's Here's our propensity. Here's our, 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 our leaning is this. When things get hard, the first thing that kind of bubbles up in us quite often, not always, but quite often is, where's God in the midst of this? And it's the same lie that, that the enemy tells Eve and Adam in the garden. That God's holding out on you and he's not really present. Did God really say, yes, he did, and yes, he sees you, and yes, he knows. And so verse 25, shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. Now, okay, a couple of things. First of all, he sees the storm. He sees that there's wind, but he doesn't go right away. That kind of bothers me. It kind of bothers me. Jesus, you saw they were struggling why didn't you just drop everything and go? You know why? Because he was with the Father. He was with the Father, and he knew that they were going to be okay, and that storm wasn't going to kill them. They were going to be capsized. They weren't going to be overwhelmed, right? Can I just, this is just a, a, a word of pastoral uh, guidance for you. The needs of others are the concerns of Jesus first. And we can get into a mode in the church and in ministry where we're ready to drop everything at a moment's notice to go take care of other people. And God wants us to care for each other as the body of Christ. But if we are sacrificing time with the Father and time being refreshed in our own souls, you've heard the word burnout. That's where burnout happens. Burnout isn't because we're busy. Burnout happens because we're not with the Father. And so Jesus is up on the mountain, and he's watching. I bet he's praying for them. Father, you see him. I see him. Would you just strengthen them in this moment? And then it says right before dawn, he goes out walking to them. I want to I make a, a huge note, and in my notes, the note has multiple exclamation points behind it. The point of this encounter is not for you to try harder. I've, I've heard this passage preached and this story preached in such a way, it's like this. Stop being lazy and get out of the boat, right? Stop being late. Stop. You need to just do more. Just get out of the boat. You've just got to have more faith and get out of the boat. That, that's not the goal of what Jesus is trying to communicate here. Jesus is not concerned about you trying harder, performing more, doing more, or trying to please him in some way. If that's what you read into this, please stop. Because there's a different story happening. There's a different motivation behind what God is doing here. See, whether personally or corporately, there's no shame in this passage. None. None. It's not his intent. See, Jesus comes to where you are. He comes to them walking on the water. He leaves where he is, which is the way that Jesus operates, and he comes to where they are at their point of need. And he shows up in their lives. Jesus has perfect perspective. He has perfect perspective. He sees what's going on in your life. And, and here's the deal. He wants to meet you there. He wants to meet you there, and he will. Takes us to our next point. God shows up in unusual ways. God shows up in unusual ways. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. 
It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. Okay, Jesus is walking on the water. This is not normal. And not just walking on the water, but he's walking on the water. Kind of, just visualize this. Just close your eyes and picture it. Because we have this picture of Jesus walking on the serene, still lake. There's a storm. So Jesus is walking. So picture, he's going up and down with the waves, but he's just taking a stroll. Like it's no big deal. And they're freaked out. You would be freaked out too. Because he's walking on the water. But here's the thing. Jesus shows up in ways that will always challenge our norm. He shows up in ways that contrast the norm in our lives. You know what I'm talking about. This is just the way it is. This is the way things always go in my life, right? We even speak that as almost like a curse over ourselves. Oh, that's just the way things go in my life. If anything bad's going to happen, it's going to happen to me, right? Jesus shows up in such a way that it challenges the norm. He gets their attention. God shows up in unusual ways, not just here, all throughout Scripture. Remember, there's a fire, a pillar of fire and a pillar of cloud, and the presence of God leads the Israelites. There's a burning bush and a voice. Come on, that's just strange, right? There's a gentle breeze for Elijah, and his voice is in the midst of the breeze. There's visions and dreams. There's a donkey. Come on. Jesus walked through walls. He just showed up, right? The disciples, after he's resurrected, like the doors are locked, and all of a sudden Jesus is there, and then he's gone again. These are not normal things. And Jesus doesn't do these things, and God doesn't show up in this way because he, he, he needs the attention. Hey, look what I can do, right? He shows up in these ways because he needs us to give him our attention, to snap us out of the norm, the mundane, the routine, the usual, so that we can fix our eyes on him. He wants to get our attention. It's like a father taking the face of a child that's afraid in a, in, a, in a thunderstorm and cupping that child's face and locking eyes and saying, look at me, look at me, don't look around, just look at me, you're going to be okay. Jesus shows up in unusual ways so that he can draw the attention from the circumstances to him. Now, kind of backfires a little bit because they see him and initially, they're freaked out because now it's, there's a storm, there's wind, the wind's against us, we're being buffeted, and now there's a ghost. And this, this night just got really, really bad. And I love Jesus' response. Take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. See, in the midst of the storms of our lives, Jesus gives courage. That he would declare over you, take courage. Take courage. It's me. It's your Lord. It's your Savior. It's, I, I'm here for you. Don't be afraid. You know, one of the things that just doesn't work is telling people to stop being afraid. <laughs> right? Stop being afraid. I, I love, uh, like, watching watching. Not even scary movies. I don't do scary movies. Megan doesn't do scary movies. But we'll watch like, like action movies or, or things that have any kind of, kind of intensity like Incredibles 2. Um, <laughs> and, and Megan just, man, she gets like stuff pops up on the screen and she's the person in the theater that screams out loud. Right? And, and usually my arm is like bruised by the end of the movie because she's just holding on. And, and, and she's, ah, and I can't just tell her, hey, stop being afraid, right? Because then something's going to pop up on the screen, and, right? And then it's going to be awkward with us. It doesn't work. It doesn't work unless you're looking at Jesus. And Jesus' invitation isn't, or rather his command isn't, hey, stop being afraid. Stop being such a sissy. Stop being so weak. 
No, he says, take courage, it is I. And because it's me, you don't have to be afraid. There's no one else and nothing else in the world that can take that place in your life. Jesus alone owns that spot. Take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. And when we fix our lives and our eyes on him, we have reason to not be afraid, even in the midst of the storm. All right, third point is this. Peter asks for direction. Peter asks for direction. This is where the, kind of that whole choose your advent, own adventure thing comes into play for me. Because I've always thought about this passage with these terms. In fact, I used it earlier because it's so much a part of my, of my vernacular. Is this. Jesus called Peter out of the boat. Right? We've heard that. He didn't. He didn't call Peter out of the boat. Not initially. Not in the way that we think he does. The interaction starts with Peter. It's a ghost, and then Jesus says, don't be afraid, right? Take courage, it's me, don't be afraid. And Peter's response is, Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come to you on the water. I don't know how Peter got that thought in his head. Why, why, like, why? But he did. And I imagine, like, with Peter, as most situations, the words are coming out, his mouth, and he's regretting them instantly. Because you got to understand, this is Peter's domain. This is Peter's world. This fishing boat, this is Peter's world. The Sea of Galilee, he grew up on the Sea of Galilee. Storms, whatever. I've weathered worse than that. Can you just see Peter? Oh, this isn't a storm. Let me tell you about the storm that happened, right? In 83. Um, yeah, some of you are like, yeah. This is his domain. This is his comfortable space. Even in the midst of the storm, this is Peter's normal. So for the fact that, the fact that he says, tell me to get out of the boat, that's the weird part. I want to I kind of camp on this for a second. Peter is at home in the boat on the lake. In fact, we know this about Peter. When things get tough, where does he go back to? He goes back to the boat and the lake. It's a point of security and a point of comfort for him. Do you know that turmoil can become your normal? Storms can become your normal. In fact, in psychology, what they know now is that people will create problems in their own lives because they're more used to being in that kind of storm than, than they are in peace. And so if there's peace, they don't know what to do with themselves. And so we create our own storms. Can I tell you, we all do this in some form or another. And we end up in situations that are buffeting us and the wind is blowing against us. And we're like, ah! And God goes, yeah, you kind of made that storm yourself. But here's what I love about Jesus. He still shows up in the midst of the, the self-made, man-made storms of our lives because that's how much he loves and cares for us. Peter is at home in the boat. This is what he knows. It's his comfort zone. But for some reason, Peter says these words. In the presence of Jesus in this moment, Jesus, if it's you, tell me to come. Ask me to come to you on the water. And Jesus' command at this point, it's not a call. Now it's a command because Peter has asked for it. And Jesus simply says the word, come. Come. See, it's not so much about, oh, God's just going to interject into my life. And call me out of where I am and call me into something else. Right? The loudspeaker, the voice on the wall, the vision and the dream. He doesn't do that. Not in that way. You know what he does? He waits for us to go, Jesus, if it's you, would you tell me what I'm supposed to do? Jesus, would you give me the direction I need? Jesus, would you speak to me? Would you give me 
your word. See, because we don't, open, we don't follow open doors and opportunities, we don't like lay out the options in front of us and say, well, what seems like the best deal? What we do is we go, God, what are you saying? And then we follow what he says. See, because if I'm looking for the best opportunity and the thing that makes the most sense, I'm going to stay in the boat every time. Because there's nothing that makes sense about getting out of a perfectly good boat onto a stormy lake. Except for the fact that Jesus says, come. And so we have to kind of stop ourselves from doing our, our, our pros, cons list. Jesus, I'll follow you if all of these things line up. Come on. God's messing with you, some, some of you right now. How do I know? Because he's messing with me. He's waiting for us to ask. See, this is the most important part of this whole message. And if you don't get anything else, get this. The priority for us is this. Hearing and obeying the voice of God. That's it. This whole story is about hearing and obeying the voice of God. That's it. This story is not about risk-taking. It's not about simply doing crazy things for God because, well, because I just kind of live on the edge. There's lots of people who do crazy things for God who are not living inside of God's will for their lives. In fact, Jesus said that there'll be people who come to him in the last days and say, Lord, Lord, didn't we cast out demons? Right? Didn't we perform miracles? Didn't we do all of these signs and wonders in your name? And his response is... Away from me, you evildoers. I never knew you. See, Christianity is not God's, it's not, it's not like God's version of extreme sports. Right? He's not looking for like spiritual bungee jumpers and, and parachuters. He's looking for people who will simply obey his voice. And he might ask you to do some extreme things. But only do extreme things if he's asking you to do extreme things. The story is all about obedience. Jeremiah 33, uh, 2 through 3 says this. This is what the Lord says. He who made the whole earth, the Lord who formed it and established it, the Lord is his name. Call to me. Listen to this. Call to me. Jesus, if it's you, and I will answer you and tell you great and unsearchable things that you do not know. But it starts with this call to me. It's what Steve talked about last week. We have to take a step. We have to move towards God. He's looking for some indication in our lives. Not that we're perfect, we have it together, but we have to take a step. We have to ask a question. We have to call on his name. 1 Samuel 15, 22. But Samuel replied, this is, by the way, the, the setting here is Saul has just offered a sacrifice to the Lord, which he wasn't supposed to do because he was impatient. And Samuel is confronting him, and Samuel says, does the Lord delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as much as obeying the Lord? To obey is better than sacrifice, and to heed is better than the fat of rams. We get into a place in our walk with the Lord sometimes where we're like, Jesus, I'm just going to sacrifice for you. I'm just going to lay my life on the altar. And he's like, just stop. Stop. Because then he asked you to do that. You don't, you don't have to beat yourself. Just listen to what I'm asking you to do. Developing the ability to hear the voice of God and then do what he said, so let me ask you this question. When was the last time you asked Jesus to take command of your life? When was the last time you said to Jesus, not, hey, Jesus, do for me, but when you said to Jesus, God, what are you calling me? Lord, what are you asking me to do? Jesus, if it's you, would you speak to me and would you give me direction? 
even if it means stepping out of my comfort zone, out of my boat, out of my norm, out of my reality. When was the last time you asked that question? And what did you hear? And more importantly, what did you do with what you heard? So I'm going to challenge you today. Some point today, get alone with Jesus and ask him, what are you calling me to? What are you commanding over my life? Fourth thing is this, the other other disciples watched. The other disciples watched. See, Peter sinks. I mean, he steps out. When the story goes, he steps out and he starts walking on water towards Jesus. Let's not overlook that fact. Peter walked on water. It's amazing. It's phenomenal. And then he starts sinking. But, But here's the reality. Peter couldn't have sunk if he wasn't out of the boat. And his failure in that moment meant that he risked, and that risk meant that he grew. We don't grow in safe places. We have to be stretched. They talk about a, 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 a chick pecking its way out of the egg. You can't help the chick do that because it weakens the chick. There's muscles that are built in that pecking process. Plants that have to force their roots down into the ground. You can't just make it easy for them because there's strength that's built. God grows us in the midst of adversity. Peter steps out of the boat and he takes some steps on the water. And yes, he starts sinking, but Peter walked on water. And there were 11 other guys in the boat watching him. What I love about Peter is he doesn't care about what everyone else is doing and what everyone else is thinking and whatever else, whatever else everyone else is saying. In fact, I, I bet the other 11 were thankful for Peter, right? Great, Peter spoke up. Peter put himself out there. Let's see how this goes. But can you imagine weeks and months and years later, Peter around the campfire go, hey guys, you remember that time we all walked on water? Oh wait, it was just me. I mean, you guys had front row seats. He doesn't care. Comparison is a boldness killer. Comparison is a boldness killer. Jesus, I'm ready to step out for you, but wait, what's everyone else doing? You know, you know where that happens here for us in church? I'm going to just call us all out. Is every Sunday, we're given the opportunity to pray with the prayer team. And I imagine that every Sunday, there's multiple people who go, I really want to go pray with someone right now. But let me see how many other people move. And, I, and my goal is not, again, there's no shame in this passage. There's no shame in this statement. What I'm, what I'm pointing out is the reality is if, if we hear the voice or the, 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 the prompting of the, the voice of the Lord and the Spirit, and the first thing we do is go, well, what's everyone else doing? Right. We're more likely to stay right where we are because comparison is a boldness killer. Comparing ourselves to what other people are doing. God's not talking to other people. He's talking to you. It's a personalized message from God to you. And so he's saying, hey, go for it. Step out. We've got to develop that muscle. It's a spiritual muscle that says, I don't care what people think. I don't care what they say. I don't care what they say about me. I'm stepping out. I'm going to be bold and do what God is calling me to do. And the last thing is this. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Yes, Peter starts sinking And he cries out. And remember, the Sea of Galilee is familiar to him. And did did you notice in the story that Jesus doesn't calm the water and the waves and the wind before Peter gets out of the boat? And Peter doesn't say, Lord, I want to get out of the boat. Could you you just calm it down a bit? Because it's a little crazy out here, and it will be easier if the water was smooth. He steps out of the boat into the storm, and walks on water in the midst of the storm. And then he sees the same 
wind, the same waves that were there seconds before, but now he's filled with fear. Why? Because he's out of his comfort zone. Because that wooden vessel, in fact, there's a picture of uh, a discovery they made just a few years ago in Israel. Um, There's this wooden boat, if we can get that up. This is a boat that was found on the Sea of Galilee. In fact, the hotel uh, that we stayed at, the hotel we'll be staying at next year on the Sea of Galilee, right on the, the water. This boat was found just a few feet away, submerged in mud. It's, it's the oldest. This, they've dated this to be over 2,000 years old. And, uh, and it's really fascinating. You can tell that the sides of the boat don't come up really high because it's not an ocean-going vessel. Right, it goes out on the lake. So when when the wind comes up and the the waves don't have to be super high to come over the edge of this boat, right? We think of like the storms on the Sea of Galilee as being like you know ten foot waves, and and there's been times when it's gotten that big, but for the most part, just small small wind and I mean small waves blown up by the wind will come in over the side of this boat. So this is this is an example of what one of those fishing boats would have looked like. So these guys are all like just jammed in there, kind of cruising along in, in this storm. And Peter gets out of that safety. As little protection as it offers, he still gets out of it. And all of a sudden, the same wind and the same waves that didn't look as bad on the inside of the boat look really bad on the outside. When we step out in faith and we follow the call of the Lord, I guarantee you, it's going to seem overwhelming. I guarantee you that when you step out in faith, those first few steps, all of a sudden, the thing that happens is you start going, did I hear right? This doesn't feel right. This feels out of the norm. This, this isn't right. Oh, look at the things that aren't going the way they're supposed to be going. And Jesus' command to us is keep your eyes on me. Because you better believe if you step out in faith, the enemy is going to come against you with everything he has. And when we take our eyes off Jesus and we start looking at the circumstances, what happens? We sink. We sink. And Jesus reaches out for Peter. He cries out. He starts sinking. And I love that Jesus is still there. He doesn't say to Peter, you know, your faith is really lacking, so why don't you just swim yourself back to the boat? Right? Can I, Jesus isn't a jerk. He's He's a loving Savior. And Peter doesn't cry out to the other disciples, hey guys, help me out. He says, Jesus, help. And Jesus reaches down. And picks him back up. Now, now think about this. We don't pay attention to this because they walked back to the boat. Peter walks on water again. This time Jesus is helping him, but he's still walking on the water. And they go back and they get in the boat and then the wind and the waves calm down. And Jesus says to Peter, why did you doubt? Why are you lacking faith? I said there's no shame in this passage. Jesus isn't shaming Peter. And if you just have more faith, it's a gentle reminder. The same thing he said before, it's I. Take courage. It's me. It's Jesus. You can put your faith in me. You can count on me. If you look away, it's going to be problematic for you. But I'm your Savior. Keep your eyes fixed on me. Where's your faith, Peter? Because you're going to need it. And so there's a moment where Peter grows. In the midst of the failure, growth happens. You know that Jesus is okay with you to try things and for it to not work out. I battle this as a pastor all the time. All the time. Why does my church look like that guy's church or that person's church or or she's doing that kind of ministry? And man, if we had, if I had it together, if I had more faith in Jesus, this, that, and the other would be happening. And Jesus just goes, stop and get your eyes back on me and let me do in your life what I need to do and stop being so concerned about the stuff and learn to rest in me. Hebrews 12, 1 through 3 says it 
best. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, by the way, that just means there's cheerleaders in heaven who are cheering for you. Those witnesses, those saints that have gone before are cheering you on. Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Listen to this. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God where he has perfect perspective of our lives. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Is he calling out of you out of your boat? Is he calling you out of your comfort zone? I bet he is. By the way, how do you know what your comfort zone is? How do you know what your boat is? It's the point of your fear. It's the point where your fear stops you from moving forward. I wonder what people will think. I don't have the ability to do that. I don't have the money, the resources. And those points become boats for us that seemingly protect us from the elements, but what they're actually doing is preventing us from walking on water with Jesus. We stand together and invite the worship team to come forward. So what's Jesus speaking to you? My prayer is that throughout this morning that you've heard his voice gently beckoning. And I believe what he's asking you to do is ask, is for you to ask him a question. He's not going to just start with, hey, this is what I need you to do. What he's going to say is, hey, would you, would you speak to me? Would you ask me? Would you allow me to command to take control of your life? Not in a weird way, but in a way that will bring about our best. When's the last time you asked Jesus? what he had for you. Father God, this morning I ask that all distraction, all the wind, all of the waves, all of the things, Lord, that get in the way, all of the things that buffet us and the things that come against us, Lord, would be stripped away. Would you just speak to the storms present in this room right now that they would die down, that they would be still in Jesus' name. And that hearts and minds would hear from you today with clarity Family, Jesus loves you. He loves you. He sees you. He knows what's going on in your life and He cares. He wants to meet you where you are, but He loves you enough to not let you stay there. Would you allow Him to command you to step into your future, into your destiny, into the impossible with Him? So, Father, we ask that this morning. Do that. I pray for a boldness to rise up in our hearts. Jesus, that we would hear and obey your voice with every fiber of our being. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's worship together. Our prayer team is available. If you need someone to pray with you and agree with you in prayer this morning, they'd love the opportunity to do that.